स्थापकाय धर्मस्वरूपिने अवतार वरिष्ठाय रामकृष्णाते नम जननी शारदा देवी रामकृष्ण जगद्गुर पादपद्मीतोवा प्रणमा मुहूर्मुहूर् वसुदेवसुत कंसचानूरमर्दनम देवकी परमानंदम कृष्णम वंदे जगद्गुर So in the last class we were studying the fifty-second and the fifty-third slokas of the second chapter of Srimad Bhagavad Gita. So, in the fifty-third, in the fifty-second, and in the fifty-third, the idea was that it is alone the realization and realization alone which can take us beyond all doubts. That most of us restrict the religion. only to the domain of our beliefs it's some concepts which we believe and we try to lead our life as per our belief and there the religion ends but the scripture here we will find bhagwan here is stressing the need to convert to transform this belief into realization that today's imagination should becomes tomorrow's realization it should become a part and parcel of our being just the way the food unless we take the food digest it assimilate it and it gets converted into our body the food is just something which is of no use it has to get transformed into our body similarly these ideas unless we assimilate them and they become a part and parcel of our life those ideas are simply ideas meant at the most for intellectual curiosity this intellectual gymnastics to just fulfill the curiosity of our mind it doesn't in a way transform the life those concepts just remain as concepts so this is the idea which we find in the 53rd sloka which we were studying in the last class is indicated what it is saying shruti vipratipannate yada sthashyati nischala samadha vachala buddhi tada yogam avapsyasi that shruti vipratipannate vipratipanna means perplexed by what by the shruti that what we hear been spoken of by the realized soul the one who has realized when he speaks that becomes the shruti the word shruti came because in the olden days when the script was yet to develop everything had to be memorized by heart whatever we hear 
that we have to assimilate, that we have to cogitate and that we have to assimilate. So it was all through hearing. So that's why the word Shruti for the scriptures has been indicated. So this Shruti, whatever is mentioned in our Shastras, in the scriptures, we find that they can be quite perplexing. So many philosophies come out of it. So many isms, doctrines, dogmas. When someone says, my religion is the only religion, you will and try to bring uniformity in the religion. A very interesting thing you will find. Within a few days, the one who is claiming my religion alone is the religion, you will find there are thousand sects within that religion. Why it is happening? Because the human, human mind is, each and every mind has its uniqueness. And it is bound to create so many various doctrines, dogmas, sects, denominations. There cannot be just one thought, one line of thought. It's quite okay. At the beginning, it's quite okay. As per our temperament, we may have thousand beliefs. But that's just the beginning of religion. The real religion, when it takes to the realization, then all these so-called, the various thoughts, the confusion which arises because of the various thoughts is bound to vanish. When, when these all these various thought processes at last takes me to the realization. So, Sruti Viprati Pannate Yadas Thashyati Nishchala. That when, when your mind stands, stands firm and this Thashyati means it remains Nishchala, it becomes totally unwavering. It's just fixed on the ideal and it has taken you to Samadhi, to the realization. Then what happens, all these various opinions which were perplexing your mind, they all fall off. You become firm in your conviction and that's when you have attained your Tada Yogam Avapsasi. That's when we can say that you have attained Yoga. So what actually this sloka is speaking of, that as we told that in this world, any knowledge means realization. Without realization, there cannot be any knowledge. That example which we give again and again. Suppose I have tested the mango and I go and discuss the taste of mango to a group of people. I go and say the taste of mango to a group of people who have never tested the mango. I say it is sweet. It has a nice flavor. And they all think they have understood because they all have their own quota of experiences of sweetness and of flavor. They have tasted various things which are sweet and which do have flavor, but they have not tasted the mango. So they are familiar with the word sweet. They're familiar with the word flavor as per their own fund of experiences are concerned. So from their own fund of experiences, they try to relate to this word the one who have tested mango, he says it is sweet and it has a nice flavor. And they think we have understood. But what's that understanding? It is just an intellectual cogitation. They relate to their available fund of experiments. And some may say that mango is sweet like molasses. And it has a nice flavor like jasmine. Someone says, no, no, it is as sweet as honey. It has some fragrance of rose. And that gives its flavor. 
So you will find the varied opinions. Why these varied opinions? Why? That's after hearing to the Sruti, the one who have tested the mango and is relating the taste of mango, he is the one who is just the one who is the source of that Sruti. What he hears, what he's saying, everyone is hearing. But after hearing, there is bound to be a gap in understanding in all of them, unless and until they have tasted the mango. And that speaks of the fact that why there is so much confusion, even after hearing the same words from the same person who is a realized soul. It is bound to create confusion. So what's the way out? The way out is not to go on discussing about the taste of mango. If you go on discussing about the taste of mango for years, for ages, for even for millennia, we can never, we can never ever experience, really experience what the real taste is. There is no knowledge. And the Yoga Shastra, they speak of Samadhi as Vitarka, then after Vitarka, then, then comes Vichara, and then it leads to Ananda, Asmita, and then Sampragyata. What's the idea? Vitarka. That when I am focusing my mind, that of course is a concentration, but it is yet to take me to the realization. So I am focusing my mind to find out the truth, but yet the truth has to be revealed. Then what happens? They say that Vitarka is because there is a gap between Shabda, Artha, Jnana. What is the Shabda? When I say some words, say mango, immediately in your mind, in your mind, there will be a, a knowledge will arise. If you have tasted the mango, a type of knowledge will arise. If you have not tested the mango, then also a type of knowledge will arise. As we were saying, the one who has not tasted the mango may think it is as sweet as molas and its fragrance is similar to the smell of jasmine. It's a jnana. So that shabda has resulted in a jnana. And the shabda has a real artha. That real artha is what? The real taste of the mango is the artha. When I say mango, the one who have tested the mango, he knows the real artha. Till the realization happens, there is bound to be a confusion between this shabda, artha, jnana. And that's why all the vitarka, all the arguments come into being. So the moment I test the mango, immediately I get promoted to that world who have all tested the mango. There, there is no confusion. There, there is no question of any confusion. The similar in all the religions, you will find that those who have realized something, the mystics, their words you will find is almost similar as in the words of Ramakrishna, Shekhane, Shab, Shealer, Ak, Ra. All the fox howls in the same manner when they reach there. In the forest, when one fox howls, all will immediately resonate. As if they are also acknowledging, yes, what you are saying is right. Means in a poetical way we can say. So that's Sri Ramakrishna is saying that all the fox howls in the same manner. As if when one mystic speaks out his realization, whatever may be the religion of other mystics, they have gone beyond the religion and they can all relate through their experience to that word. So 
if you want to find the conformity in all the religions, go to the language of the mystics. Otherwise, as long as we are in the doctrines and dogmas, there's bound to be thousands of opinion, all fighting with each other. All the violence which happens in the name of religion is because the religion is only for most of us mere words. We never take it seriously to take us to that state of realization. And when that realization happens, when you can reach the state of Samadhi, Samadha Vachala Buddhi. What is Samadhi? In our scripture, they have spoken of that Dhyana Dhyata Dhya, this Triputi vanishes. When your mind is extremely focused, then that you are meditating, that idea is also bound to fall off. You become one with the object of meditation. When that happens, whatever may be the object of meditation, it takes you in that state to, a, to the realization. And when that realization happens, then you have the actual knowledge. Why, why that realization happens when even the idea that I am meditating that has fallen off? Because I actually speaks of ego that I am meditating, that I speaks of ego. As long as the ego is there, your knowledge is bound to be tainted by your bias. It cannot be the true knowledge. That example in Vedanta, which they give again and again, that a stump is there in the corner of a park. In the twilight hours, in the dusk hours, as the light is not there uh, very clear, it is not very visible, something is visible. And a thief is running, uh, is just scared of police is running. From a distance, he sees the stump and thinks that stump to be the police. The police who is in search of the thief thinks the stump to be the thief. The one lover who is, has came to the park for search of his beloved thinks is to be the beloved. The mother who is now going to carry the child back to home after the play is over with other children, thinks the mother is in search of the child, thinks that to be the stump to be the child. The child who is in search of the mother thinks it to be the mother. So what's the idea? As long as our ego is there, it has its own bias based on its obsessions, its fears. It is have to, bound to have the bias. And that bias will never give you the correct knowledge. So all our knowledge happens because of Samadhi. When I am testing the mango, for the time being, my ego has to fall off. All our knowledge comes off when we are focused. Even if like an ordinary act like eating, you will find that sometimes that as my mind is distracted, most probably I am going through some hardships in my life, challenges in my life. I'm taking my food with my thought of some legal complications which has arisen in my life. And I'm totally, my mind is uh, dealing with all those problems. You will find that the food actually has no salt. You have never realized why Samadhi has never happened. The mind has to be focused for the time being to the thing which you are doing. To, and the focus should be to such an extent where everything falls off, you are fully focused on that. Even their ego has fallen off. 
then only the knowledge dawns in. When I'm testing something for the time being, my entire mind is on that test and then only the knowledge dawns. If it is distracted, even when I'm eating food, I may not be aware of its test. It happens in our life. That's why they say that when you're having food, don't go on watching television because you will eat more. Your total mind is there. So how much you're taking, you're not, you're not aware. Your biological clock has stopped. Your body's mind is not processing. So why all those things are happening? Because you're not in Samadhi. Samadhi doesn't only mean to be in the spiritual uh, domain. In our day-to-day life, innumerable Samadhis are happening. Whenever we are focused and from that focus, the knowledge is coming in. It's a type of Samadhi. And unless you have gone to that type of Samadhi, there is going to be utter confusion about all the things which we are trying to know, what to speak of our spiritual dimension of our existence. So one who has actually went to that Samadhi and have realized in the spiritual sense that he is the Atman. It is no more an intellectual concept. For him alone, it is possible to go beyond the dualities of life. He can really be the spectator, the witness, without getting identified with the happenings of life, whether it is Sukha or it is Dukha, whether it is something which is going to give us joy or it is something which results in suffering, whether it is pleasure or whether it is pain. Everything becomes something objective. Just the way when I'm watching the movie, it may be a tragedy, it may be a joyous sin, but I know I am watching. It's not affecting me as such. Even if it affects me, I know that just for my entertainment, I allow myself to get affected by it for the time being. But I know I can easily come out of it after some time and know that the entire process was just for my entertainment, nothing else. The realized soul is as if constantly watching movie as long as he's alive. Just like a movie, the entire thing, his own life also is a movie. As per his psychophysical existence is concerned, he's just watching as a witness. Why? Because he has already went to that Samadhi. Samadhi is like the interval in your movie. That uh, story I like very much. That what? That a small child was going to watch the movie for the first time with his father. And as it was for the first time they were going to watch the movie, the father explained the child that there will be a screen on which there will be some projection. And the projection will appear so lively as if you will find that the life is enacted there. So the child thought, I have understood what it is. Now, by the time they they entered the movie theater, they were a bit delayed. The movie has already started. So the father and the son took their seat side by side. And now the son asked, where is the screen? You told in which the projection will be there? Well, just in front of you. And there, this Mahabharata war, there's the beginning of the Mahabharata war, the Gita was being explained. That was the scene. And when the father pointed out towards the screen saying, this is the screen, there is the screen. The son thought that the Krishna who is sitting in the front of the chariot is the screen. Is the Krishna the screen? No, no, no. It's behind. Oh, then Arjuna is the screen. No, no, no. It's behind. 
It's not the Krishna, not the Arjuna. Or then the chariot. The father went on just saying it's behind and the child was saying, oh, it's the chariot, is the most probably the, the other soldiers I see in the, back, in the background of the battlefield, the sky, the father couldn't explain. And then there was the intermission, the interval. All the projects and stopped. The screen was visible. After that, the movie started. Now the child is sitting quietly. He knows what is the screen. So in our life, that intermission speaks of that samadhi. The projection has to stop. That our, we have to dive deep to get into that state of our existence. But that interval has came at least once. To understand that everything is projection. The screen has to be visible. We have to go, the screen is our self, which is now changing, it's ever there. We have to have a, what you say, that identification with that even once. And from that state, when I again come back, again the movie may start, but now I know that there is a screen and everything is a projection. So all the doubts have vanished. Why? I have seen, I have went to that samadhi, to that intermission and have realized the truth which has been spoken of in the scriptures. When the father explained the child what the screen is, what projection is, he thought he had understood. But he had to wait till the interval to really understand what father has told him. So that's the idea of samadhi. That samadha, samadhau achala buddhi. When after hearing the sruti, you have through the process of sravana, manana, nididhyasana, what I have heard, I have cogitated upon it after, with, through the process of cogitation, mental cogitation. There were some gaps in understanding. Gradually, all were clarified. I got some intellectual conviction, but that alone is not sufficient. That intellectual conviction has now be, have to be converted into realization. And what's the process? Nididhyasana. By constantly contemplating on your intellectual conviction till it becomes a part and parcel of your existence. You have assimilated it. You have internalized it. And it has taken you to the domain of realization. And that's what Samadhi means. And there, from that, when you come back, now you are achala. Nothing can waver you, deviate you, disturb you. You become totally steady in your conviction. And that's when you, it can be said that you have attained yoga. Tada yogam avapsasi. Yoga means unification. So this, actually I am that self, but seeing the reflection of the self in the psychophysical existence, I take this reflection to be real. So now the reflection is as if one thing and the self is another thing. Because of ignorance, the two appear to be different. But when samadhi happens, then for the time being, the mind has fallen off. Then the reflection has become one with the real sun. When the sun is being reflected in a pot of water, the, the, the sun appears to be two. There is sun and this is the reflection. If the potter of pot of water can be removed, or then what happens if it is the, the water is totally 
from the pot, it is removed. The pot is empty now. There is no reflection. When, when has the reflection gone? It has merged with the sun. The reflection has merged with the sun. It has, it has got unified with the sun. So that is yoga. So the reflection of the self in my body-mind complex, it's like that reflection of the sun in the pot of water. When the mind has stopped, this mind is like that water. It has for the time being been washed away. It's not there. It has been dried by your sadhana. And then what has happened to the reflection? It has become as if one with the real self. So that is the yoga. This yoga means unification. The apparent self gets merged in the real self. And when it happens, when you go to the samadhi, for the time being, the mind has also has totally stopped and you have become one with your real self. And then when you come back and nothing can disturb you. So that's the idea which Bhagavan is trying to explain to Arjuna. But Arjuna, as we know that in the scriptures, that's we have to cogitate upon it a lot. So even after hearing this, though Krishna has implied what has to be told, Arjuna still has <coughs> the doubt in his understanding. So now the section of the Bhagavad Gita in this uh, second chapter from the 55 to the last of this chapter deals with the state of Sthita Pragya. That's what Arjuna will be asking. That what's that state? The one who just you spoke of, the one who becomes steady in wisdom. What are the characteristics? How by seeing such a person, I can know that he is the one who is Sthita Pragya, who has reached the state of uh, that contempt, that tremendous absorption, that ultimate absorption from where when he returns, his Pragya is Sthita. Means for us, our intellectual is in our intellect is vacillating. Today, what I'm convinced about tomorrow, again, I find that my conviction has been uh, totally shattered. I may find that my conviction is no more there. Again, I find there is a lot of doubts arising. And then again, I may have some conviction, which, is, which speaks of something different from the previous conviction. In our life, constantly, we experience that. But one who is steadfast in his pragya, in his wisdom, who is that one? He's the one who has went to that realization. So now what's his, what are the characteristics by, by, by which I can know him? That's what Arjuna will be asking in the 54th sloka. What the 54th sloka is saying? Arjuna, watch it. Now Arjuna, after hearing Krishna saying this, he is now again asking Krishna. What he's asking? Sthita pragyasya bhasha, samadhistasya keshava, Sthitadhi king prabhasheta kimasita vrajeta kim. So Arjuna asked this, what O Keshava? O Keshava, what is the description of the man of steady wisdom merged in samadhi? The one who is merged in samadhi, what are the characteristics of such a person? That's the first line, sthita pragya bhasha samadhistasya keshava. The one who is absorbed in samadhi, such as Thita Pragya, what are his characteristics? 
and what are the characteristics when he comes back comes down from samadhi the then second line that's the question he's asking sitadhi king prabhasheta kim asita vrajeta kim that when he comes down from samadhi that how he behaves king prabhasheta how he speaks kim asita how he sits vrajeta kim how he moves around that speaks of the behavioral pattern of a person who has come down from samadhi so you have gone to samadhi and coming down is called vyutthana again coming coming back to the normal state of consciousness that is vyutthana so here are two questions that a person of steady wisdom is the one who has that unwavering conviction that i am brahman i am the atman i am the brahman i am the self i am not this body mind complex beyond this there is a eternal witness self i am that that he is is the realization of a man of steady wisdom now such a person that who has that realization he continues in two states sometimes he is absorbed and sometimes when he is coming back from his deep contemplation that vyutthana he is moving around just like ordinary person so here we find that arjuna's question has two components one the first component is that that what are the characteristics of the of such a person when he is deeply absorbed in samadhi and again what are his characteristics when he comes out when he emerges out of the samadhi and interacts with the world what is his behavior so the answer to this question bhagwan sri krishna we will find his answer from the 55th to the end of the chapter that the, the all the lakshanas the characteristics of sthita pragya he will describe and we will find that his answer includes two things he will be speaking of the characteristics of a man who is established in yoga in the, in the language of bhagavad gita in some later chapter bhagwan will speak of yoga arura yoga arura the one who has ascended the yoga so what are his characteristics and also his answer will include the process by which you can go to that state that is aruruksha these words are so very very scientific words very specific aruruksha the one who is yet to attain that wisdom has adopted the means to adopt to reach that state of wisdom so what are the means he has adopted so these are the two things the characteristics of an established yogi and the means which are adopted to reach that state and we will find there is not much difference in this two as shankaracharya used to say that in spiritual life the one who is established in yoga if you start internalizing the way of life which is being exemplified with one who is established in yoga that becomes your sadhana what is sadhana what is spiritual endeavor that what is being done spontaneously by a realized soul he is not uh, just planning to do something that each and every moment he doesn't decide that let me uh, behave this way that we find that in our life it happens that i am angry but if i show my anger it can be very dangerous for me it can be damaging for me so somehow i try to that uh, 
curb my anger and outwardly though inside instead inside within me i am raging but outside i still maintain my calm so what is there there i am using my will power not to ex- express my instinctual behavior so but for a realized soul realized soul is like a small child just the way a small child just behaves spontaneously whatever the way it feels it behaves it never thinks that i should behave this way or that way it's the small child that's why that's why they say that the yogi's behavior is like a small child the paramahamsa's behavior they're not in any way planning that i should behave this way or that way they're not taking any resolution their behavior is a spontaneous expression just like a small child it it is their life is a spontaneity but out of spontaneity the way they are behaving if we try to imitate that that will become sadhana for us that will become sadhana the way the is yogi is behaving so that's why the characteristics of a yogi is established when the others who are not established they are trying to follow that's the aruruksha you know the arurukshas are trying to follow the way of the yoga arura that becomes sadhana that's why both these things have been indicated in the slokas from 55 till the last of this chapter in this context i remember a very nice uh, conversation of swami vivekananda with the novices of the ramakrishna order in his time when swami vivekananda returned from the west many young young brahmacharis this young this the this the young boys of uh, the various parts of india they came to join the ramakrishna order as the future monks they were the novices and now it's very uh, it's a pertinent question that when they started living uh, the life in the monastery the question is please uh, set up a framework for us so that following which we can develop our life it's a very common question that i'd want to get up what to do and uh, uh, there should be a punctuality a routine when they were pestering swami ji to make some routine for them that what we should do so that we can develop in our spirit, our our spiritual life swami vivekananda is just what he told in bengali that's a sentence uh, is very interesting ja korar राइटिंग he has to develop the writing skills how he develops the writing skill some elderly person has written the alphabets first writes the alphabets in a sheet of paper or in a slate they will write the alphabets the digits and the child is supposed to go on scribbling over those alphabets and digits and that's how they learn writing the parents will write the teachers will write and the child is supposed to just go scribble over what has already been written and that's how they learn how to write so sadhana is that 
that all these great illuminary souls, they have already led the life. And after going to the realization that their behavior becomes spontaneous. As Sri Ramakrishna used to say, Je nachte, means the one who is an adept dancer doesn't have to consciously uh, go on the stepping on rhythm. He, has, she, he or she is an adept dancer. Now some music is playing on the background, just spontaneously their feet will be falling in rhythm. The one who has started to learn dancing, he or she has to give the total focus and be very cautious to be in rhythm. They know that a little distraction will immediately just break the rhythm. They have to be very, very focused. But the one who is an adept dancer, he may be instructing the students. He or she is instructing the students and the music is playing in the background. While instructing, we will find that her steps are never going out of rhythm. That the dance has become something spontaneous. He, has, he or she has internalized. So that's the one who is yoga, rura. Their life is a spontaneity. They are not doing something willfully. In school, it happens. It's a very common experience. The teacher is solving some maths problem, a very intricate maths problem in the blackboard. Or in the nowadays they call it whiteboard, whatever it is. So there that so when the students see this, it's easy. The steps which has been followed, it seems to be so easy. And then the teacher just simply wipes and asks some of the student to come and solve the same problem. And now he will find that the student is faltering. The student, when the teacher asked, can you solve it? Well, yeah, I've, that the way it has been solved, I have seen, but he or she goes and now he will falter in the steps. Why? Why the student felt it's so easy? Because of the spontaneity of the teacher. The teacher was doing it so spontaneously, it appeared it's so easy. When the student tried to follow, immediately they start faltering. And that's what happened when we just see the lives that spontaneity gives us a feeling, I can also do it. And then only the real sadhana that we find, it's not that easy. That's why Sri Ramakrishna used to say, Tablar bol mukhe bola shahoj hate anakotim. It's so easy to just simply recite the rhythm of tabla. It, the teacher teaches you in five minutes, you memorize it and you can just say it. But now when you have to bring it in your hands, it may take months. And that's the thing which we will find will be indicated by Bhagavan in the sloks which follows. That sadhana is just to follow the steps of the realized soul. What he is doing spontaneously, trying to do that becomes my sadhana. So now, these two questions has been asked: that what is here? By how will I know that he is the one who is deeply merged in samadhi? That he is sthita pragya. And when he comes out, that's the second part of the question: that what's his behavior? What's the behavior of that realized soul? So first, Bhagavan will be answering the characteristics of one who is merged in Samadhi in the next sloka. So let us take up the next sloka, the 55th sloka, where the response of Sri Krishna starts indicating the characteristics of Sthita Pragya, which will continue for the rest of the, this chapter. So what Bhagavan is saying in the 55th sloka of the second chapter, Sri Bhagavan Uvacha Prajahati Yada Kaman 
सर्वान पार्थ मनोगतान आत्मनी एव आत्मना तुष्ट आई एम जस्ट ब्रेकिंग द वर्ड सो दैट इट इट बिकम्स इजी फॉर यू द इन भगवत गीता व्हेन यू रीड इट इज द संधि इज देयर आत्मन्येवात आत्मन्येवात it is actually atmani eva atmana tushta the one who who's who resides in himself is satisfied the self is satisfied on the self alone that's his atmani eva atmana tushta his self finds satisfaction in self in itself that is atmani eva atmana tushta sthita pragya tadoschate so what it means prajahati yada kaman so prajah means when a man has completely renounced all the desires has cast off all the desire prajahati yada kaman sarvan means that sarvan indicates all it's not that i am choosy that some of the desires i keep with me and some i leave sarvan kaman all the desires it speaks of that story of ramakrishna wonderful story that a man in a village one day was going to have a dip in the village pond and suddenly so as he was going to have a dip in the village pond so naturally he was just wearing a loin cloth and there was another towel on his shoulder nothing else so that's the minimum amount of dress with which he was about to move out to have a dip in the village pond and suddenly the wife commented oh you are so attached just see our that neighboring the, the our neighbor he has developed renunciation and the person was quite inquisitive that what what makes me my wife speak that he has developed renunciation so he asks that what have you seen in him that makes you feel that he has developed renunciation and i am so much attached then he told just see that he has 12 wives and he is renouncing them one by one and immediately this person replied bole oh you are full can renunciation happen that way do you want to see what renunciation is here i am going and he immediately goes once for all never to come back again never thinking that i have to pack my belongings that as i am going out at that moment he was going to have a dip in the village pond so he was having nothing just one loin cloth and one towel he never looked back that what will be my provision for food shelter nothing no bag no baggages simply he leaves never to return again so this is a story in the sri ramakrishna's gospel what is the idea that when renunciation dawns it always happens that way sarvan kama it goes it in one go everything has gone it doesn't happen one by one so when it has happened when that sarvan kaman and all this kamas where it resides in the mind as it it is not sometimes we feel that it is our nature we say in our common words we say that such and such person is so much attached to so many things it is his nature anger is my nature Uh, to be uh, obsessive of certain things is my nature it cannot be my nature the word manogatan indicates that they all all these desires belong to the mind it doesn't belong to the self manogatan these desires of the mind as they are of the mind i can renounce them 
if it was something which was innate in myself, I could have never renounced them. But I can renounce them because it is a part of the mind and I am not the mind. So these words are very, very significant. Manogatan. Sarvan, Parth, Kaman, this Mano, this all these desires, Kaman, Sarvan, Kaman, Partha, these are all Manogatan. And the one who has renounced them all and is established in his self, he is satisfied in his self. The self is satisfied in self, means he is identified in, in his own true reality. No such a person to be Siddhapraga, stayed in wisdom. So what's this idea is? When a person goes to Samadhi, then and then alone, it is possible that you can renounce all your desires. Not before that. And that renunciation is a true renunciation. That happens once, I mean, just in one go, all the desire falls off. You may say, how? In our day-to-day life, we find it's never so. That I have most probably an addiction for smoking and I like some delicacies. I like that that most probably I have developed uh, this, what you say, that uh, some uh, lungs condition. So what I say, no, no, that's still uh, staking sweet is okay for me because I don't, I'm not diabetic, but I have developed some lung conditions. So the smoking has to be, it has to, I have to stop this, uh, this smoking. I have to get rid of this addiction. So with a lot of effort, when you get rid of the addiction of smoking, your addiction for sweets still there. So it, it is in our life, we find that how difficult to get rid of one desire. And here it is, here Krishna is saying that all desires has to vanish. And it appears to be impossible. How in my life it is possible, ever, ever possible, that all the desires will vanish. Know it for certain that yes, all desires vanish when you go to the realization. In spiritual life, there are two types of practice. It's once it's for the short term, another is for the long term. When we have to, when we used to go for relief work, suppose there is a flood. There are two types of relief. One is short-term relief, one is long-term. What is the short-term relief? That immediately where this flood, I we go, the people are in need of uh, food and shelter. We provide the food and bring them to some secure shelter. That's what we give. There's a preliminary relief. But if the village is prone to flood, it is in the riverbed. Every year the flood is there. Every year they meet the same consequence. Then you think of disaster relief. That's the long term. Build the houses on the top of pillar <clears throat> so that even when the village is flooded, their house is not flooded. They should have school buildings with big halls in the upper floor so that even if they have to evacuate, they have place. They don't have to go to some other place. In the same place, they can, uh, there can be the, this, what you say, the shelter. You can have granaries quite in the elevated uh, position. The water tube wells in the village in India, the still that hand-driven tube wells are there. Uh, it means when the first time I visited such village, I was a bit uh, curious that you have to climb the steps to reach the tube well. I said, why? The tube well they could have done in the ground floor. Why you have to rise? No, no, when the flood is there, everywhere there is water, but there is no drinking water. 
all its contaminated water to get drinking water. Now, what, if the tube well is on the ground level, that also will get immersed. You cannot get pure water. So now this pedestal is there that when even if the village is flooded, they can have this water from the tube well in this upraised position that they get pure water. So all this speaks of disaster, long-term effect, that even when the flood is not there, you thought of all these measures so that even the flood cannot affect you when even the flood is there, it cannot affect you that adversely. So in spiritual life also, there are two types of practice. The desire which is destroying me now, I have to get rid of it by willpower. But what about the innumerable desires? So therefore that the practice is what? The constant contemplation on the self. That in a spiritual life, they say abhyasa and vairagya. In Bhagavad Gita also this idea will come. Bhagavan in the later chapter will say that this spiritual practice is of two things, abhyasa and vairagya. Abhyasa speaks of your contemplation, that whatever your meditation you are doing. And vairagya, that immediate renunciation you are practicing. The vairagya will take care of your immediate obsessions. Because these obsessions won't allow your mind to contemplate. So they take care of immediate obsessions. But for getting rid of all the desires, this contemplation alone is the way. Why? That when you are meditating on yourself, that I am the Atman, I am Brahman, or even if you're a devotee, you're contemplating on God. The idea is that I, as a limited being, I'm not eternal. I'm going to die. But my relation with God is eternal. That's why we meditate on God. God is I am. And our relation is eternal. The world may stay or may not be there. I am there. My Lord is there. So what's the idea? Whether you're a devotee or whether you're thinking of yourself that I am Atman, I am Brahman. The same thing. You're speaking, it speaks of contemplating on the eternity of the soul which is not affected by any of the so-called limiting adjuncts of my present life. It is beyond the ego. So this Aham Brahmasmi or a devotee by constant contemplation, what he is doing is constantly hammering the ego. Now, know it for certain that all our innumerable desires, there are so many desires, but they are all hooked to the ego. They are all that first that when I say I like this, that I, on that I, that liking is hooked. I hate this. I like this. It's all these innumerable desires are all the ego is the hub and all these thousands of desires, the karmas are like the spikes. If you get rid of one spike, the other spikes are there to still hold on to that will. The will structure won't fall off. The will, will won't collapse. Because other spikes are there to keep the will intact. But if I take out the hub, the entire will is going to collapse. So, prajahati yada kaman sarvan. This is very important. When you go to samadhi, when you go to that state <coughs> where you are devoid of your limited self, the hub has been taken away. All the spikes, all the desires fall off at a time. It's all gone. So now you will understand that what is being indicated here. Prajahati, Yada, Kaman, Sarvan, Partha, Manogatan. 
And as they all reside in the mind, I can get rid of them. If they were part of myself, I could have never got rid of them. So, so now how to get rid of that mind? That's all these desires are in the mind. So it is the mind and I am not the mind. If I can get rid of the mind, all the desires are gone. Now, Yoga Sutra starts with that. That what? How to get rid of the mind? Yogas Chitta Vritti Nirodha, the second sutra of the first chapter of yoga. Thus, to get rid of the vrittis is yoga. Once the vrittis falls, immediately the mind is bound to fall off and you become unified with yourself. As long as the prism is there, the white light breaks into the spectrum, remove the prism, the spectrum merges with the white light, isn't it? So, this prism is the mind. How to get rid of it? This sutra itself speaks a lot. Yoga, chitta, vritti, nirodha. This chitta is the mind. What I have to stop? The waves of the mind, the vritti. Now generally we translate vritti as waves, but that's a very wrong translation. In Sanskrit, vritti doesn't mean waves. Vritti means profession. Vritti doesn't mean wave. Then why these waves have been indicated by the word vritti? Because very interesting, this, the, the words which has been chosen in our scriptures, that itself speaks of the philosophy behind it. That in our life we have experienced that my profession is, of course, with my profession, I am serving the world. That's one thing. But that same profession is actually sustaining me. Isn't it? A teacher sustains himself or himself, herself by his or her profession. A doctor, an engineer, everyone's the profession is there to sustain. The mind can sustain itself as long as the waves are there. So that's why the mind's profession is the waves. So that's why they are called vritti. You see, the words are so interesting. Chitta vritti. As long as the vritti. Then you say, in deep sleep, I don't have vritti. The Yoga Sutra has defined. No, no. In deep sleep also you have vritti. Vritti doesn't have pratyaya. These words are very important. The vritti, the waves are one thing and the contents of the wave. When this, uh, the ocean has innumerable waves and the sun is there and the sky, each of the waves will have the reflection of the sun. So the contents, the pratyaya of each and every wave is the sun. So similarly, when our mind is reflecting this world, the contents of that reflection is this world. When I'm seeing a flower, the content of the mind wave is the flower. That's how whatever is being reflected, that's my perception. That's what I see. In yoga, very nicely, they have said that even in deep sleep, the mind's vrittis are still there. But what happens? There is no content. They're very nice that, uh, that, that what is nidra? Abhava pratyaya alambana vritti nidra. Abhava pratyaya. But pratyaya is not there, but vrittis are still there. Because if the vritti stops, the mind is not there. So how nicely, even in modern neurology, the different types of waves which we find in the mind, that it indicates the same thing. They have found only a meditative person have a have the mental waves are much flattened. The one who is in sleep, still he has waves. It's only the one who this, this, uh, has gone to a deep state of meditation, his waves are flattening. 
it's a very less frequency. Otherwise, the waves are always there. So consciously to stop the vrittis, that only enters the, this dissolution of the chitta. And that enters the falling off of all the desires once at a time. Because the mind is the hub of all the desires. You get rid of the mind, all the desires are gone. So you have to get rid of the vrittis. Now how to get rid of the vrittis? So these are the things will come in the Bhagavad Gita in the sixth chapter. So now the vrittis are of two types. You also will understand. That when I suppose I'm sitting here, in front of me there is a water jug. Seeing it, neither I am happy nor I am uh, dejected. It just gives a knowledge that this is a water jug. So this jnana vritti doesn't cause any suffering. What causes suffering? Wherever the vritti is related with the emotive faculty of raga, dvesha, abhinivesha. I have some attachment towards it or some hatred or some fear factor is working. Obsession, fight and flight response. Even the, all the vrittis are linked with these emotive things, then only the vrittis are the cause of the suffering. Suffering. So there are two types of vritti. One is aklishta and another is the klishta. So all these klishta vrittis can be got rid of by the aklishta vritti. It is not ordinary aklishta vritti. I am seeing the water jug. That is also an aklishta vritti. But there is another type of aklishta vritti. I am Atman. I am Brahman. This is an aklishta vritti. This vritti can subjugate all the klishta vrittis. And once that has happened, the aklishta vritti itself falls off, taking you to that realization. When it falls off, first the klishta, this aklishta vritti, that brahmakara vritti, your contemplative mind will get rid of all other desires. And when that has happened, it itself will fall off, rendering you the freedom. Why it falls off? Even in the last class of Mundaka Upanishad, we were discussing that when all the vrittis has fallen off, your mind, this all the bias has fallen off, your mind becomes expansive. It sees even the past lives. Jati Smaratva is, is bound to come a man who is about to go to the realization. And what he sees? So just see in this life, because of our myopic vision, what we, were, what we were doing as a child, we were growing up, all explained, study well uh, and uh, develop some skills. And then only you can flourish in your life. You can have your wealth, everything. And then we find that after I have attained everything, after a certain stage that my body starts, uh, what is that I, I go to the middle age, and my, all the faculties now start gradually declining, that what I have gained, I cannot return. At last I find that the nature gives me everything at certain point of time. And whether I wish it or not, it is going to take away everything at certain point of time. It will just make me a pauper. Just before I am going to die, I find I am a pauper. That one day I was respected by the world. People, I, I, I drew the attention of so many people with my skills. And now everything is gone. At last, I have to leave the world empty-handed. Become empty-handed, we have to go empty-handed. In the meantime, nature gives in bounty so many things and again takes away, whether we will it or not. And for so many lives, taking this life to be the real, we have wasted, just wasted. 
we are going on just trying to just establish ourselves and then we find the in the flow of life everything is over that what all we gained nothing goes with us so when he sees a jati smaratva that as all the biases has fallen off the mind has lost its sense of immediacy urgency with the present it expands and sees that how again and again we were being deluded by this agyana and uh, that which resulted in this karma and karma that results in paravairagya supreme detachment and then only you can think of even living of the mind you know that in the mind when it has really what you say that renounced all the this klishta vrittis all the sufferings it has renounced the kleshas it has renounced but still it is enjoying i am atman i am brahman i am not the mind not the body not the senses who is saying the mind is saying the one who is in deep contemplation saying i am the brahman it is the mind same mind who is just somehow got rid of other vrittis is now holding on to these vrittis so now this man understands when he goes sees that the, the this that how this we were wasting life after life with all these endeavors and this all resulted because of the mind then the question of renouncing the, that last vritti the mind itself comes is very difficult to understand from this present state of our existence many say what that how can you renounce the mind it's very difficult to explain now just the way a small child busy with the toys and with the chocolates you go and say these are all childish you have to become an established person a scientist or something and when you try how many experts that about what happens when you become a scientist that throughout the day even the lab you will be in the laboratory uh, doing experiment you may forget your food and other things the child so what is that it's a horrible life it's almost impossible to explain the pleasure of the scientist because all his pleasures are in his toys and chocolates similarly to leave that mind that last bit is is almost impossible for us to understand we cannot comprehend as sri ram as swam vivekananda used to say we are all mustached babes as we have grown mustache but we are babies why in spiritual sense we are all babies just baby like babies we are all so much busy with the toys and chocolates we cannot think anything higher but the scripture is asserting that there is a state when you have got rid of all the aklishta vrittis with the klishta vritti the mind is bound to expand to have that realization that to be in the mind is itself is the cause of all the nuisance get rid of it go beyond it so when with all the help of the klishta this aklishta vritti the brahmakara vritti you have got rid of all the klishta vritti when that vritti arises in the mind all the desires at a time falls off because you are just hammering the hub of the will all the spikes falls off and then that takes you to that state of realization where you reside because the mind has fallen off is the mind which is projecting you the sense this universe as well as the sense of your limited individuality both has fallen off and the self now resides in the self even when there is a vithyan you come back that's the thing you never forget the self resides in the self so that's what is the state of one who is absorbed in samadhi and that's being answered by krishna in this question the sthita pragya who is the sthita pragya the first part of the question that arjuna asked in the 54th shloka that what are the characteristics 
of a person who is merged in Samadhi. So that is being answered here. So such a person whose all desires has fallen off because of his contemplation, deep contemplation, which has taken him to the state of Samadhi, where all the vasanas has fallen off because the ego has been removed. It has been uprooted. So all the sarvan, all the desires has fallen off also once at a time. And it has taken him to the state where he is residing in his self. The self is residing in his self. Know it for certain, such a person is a sthita pragya. So it answers the first part of the question. The next part in another three slokas that when he comes back from that state, when he comes down from that state, when there's a vyuthana, he comes out of that samadhi and tries to in, and interacts with the world. What's his behavioral pattern? That will be spoken of in the next three slokas, the 56th, 57th, and 58th. So we will take up those slokas again in the succeeding class. So with this, we stop our discussion today. Thank you all. Namaskars.